temper, when I see the sun is shining, when it's raining and all that gloomy, I'm, I'm just depressed. That Pray for me. But when the sun is out, I'm a happy dude. But we are going through the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Paul wraps up his exhortation with a plea for mutual acceptance. He has said in chapter 13, verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he quotes from the second table of the, of the law, man's relationship with man. And he ends this section of chapter 13 in verse 10. He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. He begins to command us to receive fellow believers. In this section from chapter 14, verse 1, all the way to chapter 15, verse 7. My wife told me not to go that far this morning, so we're only looking at one chapter. But it, really, the context is all the way to 15, verse 7. He says in verse 1 of chapter 14, receive one who is weak in the faith. It's repeated at the end of the section in chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, receive one another. So the theme of mutuality is given in the last verse, and he echoes it three other times, that one another's reference. 14, 13, he says, do not judge one another. Verse 19 of that same chapter, he says, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another, build one another up. And then he says in chapter 15, verse 5, now may the God of patience, I'm thankful of that, and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. All of these exhortations are to mutual acceptance. And the concern is directed specifically over two things, two groups of Christians, those who are weak, in the faith, and those who are strong in the faith. Now, what's dividing these groups are two or three different things. Number one, the strong eat all kinds of food, while the weak only eats vegetables. Number two, the strong make no distinction among days, while the weak value some days more than others. And then number three, the strong drink while the weak abstain. And really that's speaking of a temple worship rituals with wine and so forth there. But the question is, why would Paul, why does he write this? Now we know he's addressing a real problem that was happening in the Roman church, the churches in Rome. You had all kinds of people, like I said last week, coming into the church. Once again, imagine you start out with 120 people, mainly Jewish believers, if not all. And then Peter preaches that first sermon in Acts, and over 3,000 people are saved at that time. 
Later on during the week, he preaches again, and 5,000 more are added. That's 8,000 people that's come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You have Jews and you have Greeks coming together. You have people who have kept the dietary law for centuries. You have people who have lived under those kinds of bondage. You also have Gentiles who have no rules as far as the Jews are concerned. And you have all of these types of people coming together in one body, the body of Christ. Remember, Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, talks about how Jesus Christ has broken down the wall of partition, the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. So he's writing to these Romans home fellowships and saying, you guys need to get along. You don't need to be majoring in the minors. There's latitude here. There is room for us to disagree without disunity over minor things, not over the major truths of the faith, but in regards to eating, valuing some days above others, and drinking, there's plenty of latitude. The thing is, you have these Jewish people who have been religious their entire lives, getting saved, and they are moving in slowly towards God's grace, learning of God's grace. But you have these Gentiles who were worshiping idols with no morality, and their life is coming to order. And they are all, once again, in this hodgepodge. They're mingled together. Paul writes to the Corinthians and challenges them about their division. Remember when he says, some say, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. He then begins to challenge the Galatians for not getting along. He says, you guys are biting and devouring one another. Remember the church in Philippi. Two women are at, at, are at odds, and they almost tear the church apart. This is church life. So the exhortation this morning is to all of us. He says in verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Paul shows tact here. I need to get better at that. But he shows a little tact here. He acts like he's writing to everyone in that fellowship as mature believers, one who understands the liberty he has. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things, not to quarrel about your opinions. That's what he's saying. Don't allow that to be the barometer of why you do or don't associate with each other. Because others don't see things eye to eye with you on certain subject matters. Let, re let me remind you, all of us are brothers and sisters in Christ if we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Paul is saying to receive, that word receive is to accept into one's society, into one's home, 
into his circle of acquaintance, not just when you come through the door, hey, how are you doing, and go, go your separate ways. So it implies not just tolerating the weak, but to treat them as they are, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's important to understand this word faith because he says those that are weak in the faith. Paul isn't saying that these believers have weak faith as, as it pertains to believing in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, because the scripture tells us God has given every believer a measure of faith. But Paul is criticizing them for a lack of insight into some of the implications of their faith in Christ. These are Christians who are not able to accept for themselves the truths that their faith in Christ liberates them from certain Old Testament Jewish uh, ritual requirements, the Mosaic law. Christ frees them from this. So the faith with respect to which these things, people are weak, therefore, is related to their basic faith in Christ, but one step removed from it. It involves their individual outworking of Christian faith, their convictions about what that faith allows and prohibits. We all need to judge those things. And Paul hopes that as they learn more of Christ, they will grow in their faith and be liberated by their faith as they learn of Christ. That's what he's hoping for, but that's not his concern right here in this letter. He's concerned with the unity of the church. This is why he not only urges the strong to receive the weak, but to receive them with the right motivation and in the right spirit. Verse two, he tells us, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eat only vegetables. Let not him who eats vegetables who eats, the strong person who has this freedom, despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. Crino, to cast right judgment or wrong judgment. You're a judgment to condemnation when you see the word crino. Judge him who eats, for God has received him. Now we know, of course, there was problems in particularly in most of the Gentile cities where the marketplace, the agora was often filled with meats that were sanctified to idols. That was the issue here, pagan to their pagan gods. After they sacrificed these idols, they would take them to the butcher, butcher shop, sheep, lamb, goat, whatever. And then they would sell these at the meat market. Paul will say, I have no problem with that at all. If I go to a kosher butcher shop, and they sell a rack of lamb for $9 a pound, and I can go get it down the street at a pagan idol temple for $7, what are you going to do? I like the Benjamins. I like saving money. That's what I would do. That's what Paul says. The person who has that strong faith can do that. There's no sin in that. There's no conviction because he has that liberty. That's what he's speaking of. But he starts back in verse three and he says this, let not him who eats 
despise him who does not eat. Don't look down your nose at someone who has conviction about these things. He says, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. With all of the problems going on in the church, we don't need battles between herbivores and carnivores. We have much more stupider things to argue about. That's what Paul is saying here. I like the quote that Augustine said. He says this, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity, the highest love you can have. That's the goal. That's what he says. In essentials, the truths of the Christian faith, there has to be unity. We're not giving up the divinity of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, the atonement of Christ, Jesus' death, burial, and bodily resurrection. We're not giving up those things. Jesus, who is the Jewish Messiah from the tribe of Judah. We're not giving up those things. Jesus' return. We're not giving up those things. And that's where we, there has to be unity there in regards to those things. In the non-essentials, there can be liberty. That's what Paul is speaking of. If you don't believe the gifts of the Spirit is for today, a lot of godly men don't believe that. I happen to think the gifts are still here, but we can still evangelize together. We can still serve together. If you're a post-tribber and you don't believe the rapture isn't going to take place until the end of the tribulation, that's fine with me. We can serve. We can worship together. I think Jesus can come back at any time. But we don't need to divide over those things. So Paul says in verse 4, looking at both the one who is despising and the one who is judging in this diatribe, who are you to judge another servant? Okates is the servant, a, a domestic servant, not a doulos, a slave by choice, but someone who owns this servant and he has the right to evaluate him. That's not my job. That's not your job. Paul continues. In other words, he's saying, they're not your servant. So stay in your own lane. That's what he's saying there. He says, to his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. I'm so thankful it's God who keeps me standing. I think of Jude 1.24 when he says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, can you do that? Can I do that? That's my master. He does that. And to present you faultless, can you do that for me? Can I do that for you? No way. That's my master. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Then why, Victor, are you judging? Why, Victor, are you judging? Paul has gone through these chapters to prove that we're justified, redeemed, 
Propitiation has been taken, has taken place and God's just demands have been satisfied. So now he's saying, don't put somebody under condemnation who has been justified by the blood of Christ. That's what he's saying. While you are arguing about what you will have for supper, but Christians do it all the time, I hate to say. I've heard people say, can believers go to the beach? I guess they can. (laughs) I can't believe this person, this family went to the beach. That's crazy to me. If you're not stumbled, if you can go to the beach and enjoy yourself, have at it. That's your liberty. That's your freedom. I have no right to to judge you for that. Now, I love the writings of Charles Spurgeon. But Charles Spurgeon had a church right next to him, and the dude's name was Joseph Parker. He was another minister. The problem with Joseph Parker, besides Joseph Parker Church, uh, F.F. Bruce's, well, maybe it was F.B. Meyer's church was beside him. So all the people went to those two churches. And Joseph Parker, he didn't have many people at his church. But, but, but Spurgeon and Parker were friends until Spurgeon found out that Parker would go to the theater. Now, come on, way back then, what, what was he watching? Lion King? Les Miserables? Nothing, nothing R-rated. But that's what Spurgeon got upset with him. And he proclaimed that from the pulpit. He said, uh, Joseph Parker He's a rebel. He's carnal because he would go to the theater. That's not right. And then 300 and something pound D.L. Moody goes to London and he, and he, he sits back and he watches Spurgeon preach. And so Spurgeon invites him back to his office after church. Moody finally makes his way back there. And they say Spurgeon has his feet kicked up on his desk, smoking a cigar. And Moody looks at him and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? You just preached a great sermon. The spirit is moving. All this stuff is going on. And you're back here smoking a cigar. And they said Spurgeon looked at the cigar and looked at Moody. And he says, at least I do it in moderation. (laughs) That's funny to me. Judging. I'm not your servant and you're not my servant. Let the Lord judge. That's what he's saying here. It's amazing that these godly men, but we do it all the time, stumble at things like this. What about going to movies? I haven't been to a movie in a while because there's nothing out there I really like. I'm an action guy. I told you this. I'm a drummer guy, but... You know, I just can't find anything, but I know me. So even at home when I'm watching TV, I have to make sure things don't go before my eyes that should not because I don't want the battle in my mind. So I just try to defeat it right then and there. But if you guys like going to movies, I know you're well enough known to watch good stuff, clean stuff. You go for it. But that's still not up to me. That's up to you. What about smoking? I've heard people say, If you smoke, you're going to hell. Now, I can't find that in the scriptures. 
all I'm saying, if you are a smoker and a believer, you might get there quicker than a non-smoker. <laughs> but that's up to you. You might, you might smell of smoke every once in a while. That's up to you. I can shake your hand and I'm fine. But you're not going to hell for smoking. I've heard, I've been in legalistic churches. You can't wear makeup. You can't wear jewelry. You can't do all of these things. And the only time I will believe those things is when thus saith the Lord, when he says it. Any other time, you're trying to weigh me down with a burden and bondage. What about drinking? All I can say about that, if you've ever had a problem with alcoholic beverages, I don't advise you to drink. And I will say this, from the pastor's To the elders, if any issue ever occurs from drinking alcoholic drinks with me on down, then we will have an issue with that. I'm not their Holy Spirit, and neither are their mine. But in all things, I know they want to, I know I want to, and I know all of you who are believers want to honor God. That's the thing. That's the goal. So Paul says in verse four, who are you to judge another's servant to his own master? He stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced. That's it. In his own mind. We know the observance of days were important in the Old Testament. In Judaism, Sabbath observance, along with the food laws, were key to Jewish distinctions in the first century and surfaced as points of tension all of the time in the early church. Paul says in Galatians 4.10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Galatians Colossians 2.16 tells us, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon, or Sabbath. To the dispute in Rome, Paul's approach was, he does not commend or command one practice or the other, but exhorts each believer to believe thoroughly, be thoroughly convinced in his own mind. That's key. So I'm going to read down from six through nine, and then we'll look at it. He says, he who observed the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So Paul presents his answer, and it's an answer relative to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He mentions the word Lord eight times in these verses. So he says, don't judge someone if they celebrate Christmas with a Christmas tree. Don't do that. Don't judge someone 
if they took the jab or if they didn't. Don't judge someone for that. That doesn't mean the person is less spiritual. That's nonsense. That's foolishness. These are things that we shouldn't divide over as a church. If you have convictions about those things, then you need to respond to those convictions. He says, he who observes the day, the idea is one above another. Now, please notice, he says, observes it to the Lord. Every day is the Lord's day. Every day I do generally the same thing. I get up, I read my Bible, I spend my time in my devotion, then I start preparing, then I clean the house, then I go get groceries now, and just things like that. I mean, every day is just, just about the same. The only excitement I get is on Sunday morning when I see you guys. But that, that's it. So uh, I love Sunday morning. And Wednesday's pretty cool too, so that's good. But what he's saying Observed the day to the Lord. And he says, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. And I definitely do that. For he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat. And I'm envious of you. And gives God thanks. Then he says in verse seven, for none of us once again lives to himself. And no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And then he puts the bow on it right here for to this end. This is the very reason Christ both died and rose and lived again. That he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. He holds my hand here. He will hold my hand when I close my eyes and go to sleep. Paul is saying, this is an issue of lordship. It isn't an issue of arguing over those other things. It's about coming under the benevolent dictatorship of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what it's about. We can argue over this and that position. But what we need to think about is Jesus Lord. Is Jesus Lord over our leisure? Is he Lord over our relationships, especially with the opposite sex? Is he Lord? Is he the Lord over our finances? Do we check in on him Should I be spending here or should I be saving there? Oh, Lord, it's up to you how these ends will meet. Is he Lord over our time? We had a great men's breakfast Saturday. Pastor Jonathan did an excellent teaching, but the conversation, and I know that's what he wanted, through the teaching was just, I was blown away. Just a great time of just listening to the men and their wisdom and and, and all those other things. And I continue to ask you guys, come out. We have a blessed time. I do have to say this. The women are beginning to rival us, men, 
I remember a time we were blowing the women away. I mean, we'd have 15, 20 guys, and they'd have two or three women. And I was, yes, yes, Lord, we're going to be a church where the men lead, and the men's going to be great. But the women have been creeping up a little bit. So all the men, I want to see you at the next men's breakfast. All right? Just kicking it. If you can make it, make it. But is he the Lord over our leisure time, over our time in general? Is he the Lord over our forgiveness, over our unforgiveness? Do we do what the Lord has called us to do? Is he Lord over our attitude? Pray for me. I got to get that straightened out. He says, to this very end, Christ died and he rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. The Holy Spirit is rebuking the critical spirit in the church of God among his believers who divide. He says it again in verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt? That's a nasty word. For your brother. Paul has said early on, the person who is weaker in the faith. You see, they still feel as if they need to do a little bit more to please God, to receive his grace. I call that person, the, those people, the extra credit Christians. They have to do a little bit more to, to, to get in good with the Lord when they've already been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes people, I understand they come from different religious backgrounds and they bring baggage to their relationship with Christ. We all do the same in some sense. We have to remember in Rome, many were coming out of Judaism and they valued that. And it was a wonderful heritage. And there was many spiritual aspects to that. And it was hard for them to make a clean break into the church and, and, and to accept some of the things that were being done. And Paul presents that person as being weak in the faith. Paul said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisees. All that impeccable rank. But when he met the Lord, freedom came. And so Paul understands here. And the person who is able to move forward and enjoy meat, regardless if it is bought at the shambles or, or, or esteem one day more valuable than the other, Paul presents this person as being a little more stronger in the faith. But here's the other issue, the confrontation. Actually, the weaker believer tends to be judgmental toward the believer who can enjoy more liberty. I've seen that before. And the Christian who is enjoying a little bit more liberty, he tends to despise the believer who's judging them for something they, sh they, they have freedom to do. It's like Emerson, I think his name is Edgers. Edgerich Edgerson is Joan here. She's not here this morning. She's watching online, I'm sure. But it's, it's a book on marriage. And they had a cycle in that book called the crazy cycle. And, and the husband, what we crave is respect. And of course, the wife craves, craves love to be loved. And if she's not respecting me, she's going to have a hard time for me to love her. And you're getting that cycle and you're going back and forth. And that's what Paul is saying here. 
you guys are coming in and you have liberty. Yes, I have liberty in Christ, but you're judging me because of the liberty Christ has given me. And I'm despising you because you haven't picked up the pace and you're not running with me yet. And it goes a vicious cycle. And that's what's happening. That's what was happening in the churches here. And it can happen here and it does happen other places. Paul addresses both of them because at the beginning, Paul is saying, hey, get along. It's about being unified. We are, uni- we are unified because we're in the body of Christ. Work that out. Flesh that out. It's not about my opinions. It's not about your opinions. It's about thus saith the Lord. Let's ride with him. That's why he says in verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Why are you judging your brother for doing something that's not against the faith? Or why do you show contempt for your brother, despising or looking down on someone? This is to be taken note of. And then he says, this is the reason for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. God is the one who will decide ultimately. He doesn't need me. What is right and what is wrong at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema throne. We have it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. I'm gonna read this verse. For we must all appear. This all is for believers who he's writing to here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body here and now that we're believers according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In 1 Corinthians 11 through 15, he says this, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Paul is saying to the believer, that we all will stand before the Bema seat of Christ and give an account. But it isn't for our sins. Now stick with me here. You take a baseline from here down, everything below that baseline in regards to God's judgment, his wrath, God's just demands through the law on the sinful nature, all of that has been taken care of by Jesus Christ on the cross. He said, tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. But above that, there are rewards to be given for our service for him. And basically, that service is centered. We talked about this yesterday. The number one requirement is faithfulness. That's what the great king is looking for. But that's not salvation. We can serve, we cannot serve our way into heaven. There's all kinds of crowns that we can receive to be cast at Jesus' feet. 
I will give you a warning. You might not think that's important now, but it will be. When we get around that throne and we see the great king and everyone's taking off their crowns to cast, and Pastor Victor touches his bald head, I might have hair up there, touches his head, and there's no crown there, I'm going straight to my brother Scott. Scott, you got four or five. Let me have one of yours. You know what Scott's going to say? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. We need to be sending up the lumber right now. We need to be working for those rewards. No foolishness in that. To have those crowns. It's, I can imagine how embarrassing that would be. All of you guys casting your crowns and Pastor, where's your crown? I knew you won't call me that up there, but you'll be noticing. <clears throat> Guess what Paul Shun will say? Victor doesn't have a crown. But she would be weeping for me probably. But that's the point. Here, we can work for those things as we are in love with Jesus Christ. Paul says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I joke. But this will be a sobering moment. Once again, it won't be for our sins. I believe, my opinion, that he will show me everything he had for me right here and now. I was going to bless you with this. I was going to bless you with that. I wanted to so much, but you just didn't give me your whole heart. You just wouldn't let go of some things. You, 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 you just, you didn't sit down, but you got, you came close and my Holy Spirit helped you out. But I had so much for you down here. It's important, you guys, to run well. We shouldn't have time to be judgmental. We should be spurring one another on to love and good deeds and encouraging and exhorting our brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lamb of God will be there. And he has taken on my judgment. The one I'm thankful that I won't stand is that great white throne judgment in Revelation 20 where all of the people that are damned who would not give their lives to Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and the books will be open. And God is a meticulous bookkeeper. And we don't want to be there. And we don't have to be there. And we're not there if we're believers in Jesus Christ. But it's, that still will be a sobering moment when we stand there. So he's speaking about that Bema seat. That Bema seat is where the Olympics, the Roman and Greek Olympics were there. And they would stand there, the Bemata, and get their reward. That's where we will be at. And one of the most, and it's saddening to me, one of the most indoor sports detrimental to the church is judging and gossiping. That's a great indoor sport that we don't need. The church doesn't need. We need to be praying. We need to be loving 
We need to be caring about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we don't see them, that we need to text them and reach out to them and make sure they're doing well. And I know the first thing that comes to your, your, your mind, like it comes to mind, well, I don't want to call them just to, to say, hey, you still coming or you, you still, what's going on? But I think most of the time, that's the flesh. The enemy is trying to keep you from just reaching out and saying, hey, haven't seen you. I'm, is everything okay? That's what we should do. Don't let the enemy take that from us. Paul says, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, verse 11, as I live, says the Lord. The gist of this verse comes from Isaiah 45, 23. There it says, I have sworn by myself. I love it when he brags on himself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. Then he quotes the passage. Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. I believe Paul does this to identify the Lord, curious there in the Old Testament, that passage of Jesus Christ. That's what it speaks of. Then he says in verse 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Everyone in this room has certain things that the Holy Spirit is convicting them about. Every one of us. Once again, our destination is not just a place. It's an image. And as I look out at you, and as you look up here at me, none of us have arrived yet to that image. We need to love and spur one another on to good deeds. Uh, verse 13 is a transitional verse. It says, after Paul has said everything he says, he said, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather, some translation says judge, but I like resolve, but rather resolve to determine, to decide this. He says, if you want to place judgment on something, Judge yourself on this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in, a, in our brother's way. The thing that we should take into consideration is not to ever do anything that will cause anyone to stumble. I'm learning that for the last, I've been learning that for the last three weeks. Lydia had a total knee replacement. And one thing I have to do, because she's learning to walk all over again, it's to make sure nothing is lying on the floor because I don't want her to trip or stumble and it's very easy to do. The same way I'm doing that is the same way the Lord wants us when we're communicating with our brothers and sisters in Christ to make sure we don't send out stumbling blocks to people. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That's it. Set a guard over my mouth. Make sure I'm not saying anything that might even stray that you would take at offense to. That's what the Lord wants. I don't want to stumble anyone. And I don't think you guys want to either. 
we're supposed to be transforming into the image of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I just want to say this one. I was reading one out of 14 Americans. One out of 14, if they ever drink an alcoholic beverage, one out of 14 will become an alcoholic. And you stand up and stand 14 people up. You think your odds are pretty good. But as you put more 14 and more 14, it's not so good. Christ paid for weak brothers and sisters. Christ loves that weak brother and sister as they're just growing in Christ and they have different convictions. And he takes that very seriously that we don't put down any stumbling blocks to anyone. Paul says in verse 14, this will set you free. I know Paul speaking and am convinced by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean. And he's, once again, he's primarily speaking of dietary uh, food here, of itself. But to him who considers anything, and you know when that first guy, when he says that, I'm here to tell you there's nothing when it comes to food is unclean. Those Christians are, yeah, tell them, Lord, tell them, Lord. And remember, Paul has said from the beginning, it's not about that, it's about unity of itself. But he goes on to say, but to him who considers anything, to be unclean. To him, it is unclean. It's a matter of faith. Peter in chapter 10 of Acts, they're at the home of Simon the Tanner. And a sheet, remember, is let down from heaven. Peter is on the roof, time of prayer, praying. The Lord has to do this three times. Kill Peter and eat. And the words that came out of his mouth, we know, don't go together. Remember what he said? Not so, Lord. Oh, that don't go together. Peter is a believer at this time. He's an apostle at this time. And we know this is about Peter going to the Gentiles, to the house of Cornelius. And, and remember, Peter was so worried about going into a Gentile's home. He said, come on, brothers, let's go down here. You, I want you to verify that the Lord told me. I want you to be here with me. And he goes and a, a great saving takes is prepared for the Gentiles. But he says this, the Lord replies to him, for I have, Peter says, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. The Lord tells him, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. That's what he says. Peter, the book of Galatia tells us, goes to Galatia. Peter is hanging out having a good time with those Gentiles, eating pig feet and chitterlings. Y'all know anything about that? <laughs> eating good, doing good. We're all like-minded here. We're all brothers in Christ here, just having a good time. Then all of, of a sudden, Scripture tells us some men from Jerusalem, from James comes down. Remember that? And Peter slides away, uh, abruptly moves out of the way. He shrinks back. He, the, the, the word is he trimmed his sails. He shrinks back so abruptly that even Barnabas, 
the son of encouragement stopped encouraging. That's what he did. So it had to be a swift move. And thank God for the apostle Paul who had to straighten him out to his faith, faith publicly rebuked him. Oh my gosh. You're a Democrat? Oh my gosh. You're a Republican? I've got to keep my eyes on you. I don't know. I, I don't know. If you're a Democrat, I've got to watch you. If you're a Republican, I've got to watch you. No. Are you a believer? Are you a believer? Do you love Jesus Christ? Are you in the faith? That's what matters. Paul says they were not straightforward. Orthopedeo. They were not walking correctly in the truth of the gospel. That's what he says. Hey, how can you walk if you're all messed up in uh, different things instead of the truth of the gospel? You're letting everything else take your view. What's going on in, in government and everything else and where, where our view should be on the Lord Christ. Am, am I following him? Am I leaning on him? Am I trusting in him to give me wisdom and discernment? Is my brother and sister a believer in Jesus Christ? And if they show themselves to be that, I don't care what else they're talking about. I don't care what else they're doing. I don't care how they vote. I'm riding with them. Let the Lord handle all of the rest of that foolishness. That's what the scripture says. That's how we should live. Not be divided over things that don't even matter. Paul said, you're not walking straight forward. You're walking wrong. You're limping. You're not walking accurately about the truth of the gospel. You're eating pork one day, Peter, with the Gentiles. Saying how much you love that ham sandwich. But when James Boys comes down, your homeboys, you turn away quickly. You shrink back to the dietary law. Pete, you can't do that. Once again, he's a believer. He's an apostle. And if he stumbles there, imagine us. That's why we have to keep ourselves in the word and be aligned with the word. Jonathan was talking about, we were talking about yesterday. Grace comes in the, the manifold grace of God in various different colors, whether it's grace to rebuke, whether it's grace to encourage, whether it's grace to love, all of it's grace. If you, your heart will take it the right way, the grace is there. That's what he's saying. Make sure we're giving out that manifold grace of God. Peter has scruples here. Peter had the compunction to tell the Lord, not so, Lord, I'm not going to do this. And the Lord continued to work on him. If people want to be vegetarian, that's fine with me because that's more meat. I'm a meat eater. That's fine with me. All y'all can be vegetarians. That's more meat for me. Man, I was at the grocery store the other day buying meat, and man, it was not much there. Oh, I'm changing subjects, but let me get, but I'm worried about that supply chain. There's not much meat there. Y'all better stack up. The idea is, these things should not cause division. None of us 
or more sanctified or spiritual because of what we eat or don't eat. I will make an amendment, put an amendment here. If you eat sushi, I will pray for you. (laughs) I don't know how you do it. They tell me it's good. I never tried it. But Paul says, if someone esteems something as unclean and eats it, then they're going to be under conviction about it. Verse 15, yet if your brother is grieved, this is what's key, because of your food, with what you are eating, you are no longer walking in love. And that's the goal. If you're exercising your liberty and you're grieving your brother, you're not walking in love. Paul says, do not destroy, do not tear down with your food, the one for whom Christ died. Verse 16, therefore, do not let your good be spoken as spoken of as evil. Your good is your faith and you are free to eat what you want. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. I love this, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 8, 8, but food does not commend us to God for neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we the worst. It's not the externals, but the internals. That must be our first love for the Lord, his righteousness. When I'm walking vertically correct with him, everything else on the horizontal will be fine. When I have peace with him on the vertical, the horizontal will be fine. And that brings me my joy because I'm walking correctly. And these things come from allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable. Remember that word? Present your bodies, chapter 12, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. That's how you you do that. If If you do that, serve Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. If we as believers would only yield once again to the Holy Spirit and major in a godly life, we would not have believers fighting with each other over minor things. Spiritual priorities are essential to the harmony in the church. Paul says in verse 19, therefore, let us pursue to strive to run swiftly the things which make for peace. If not speaking about politics makes for peace in the body, And you know I like politics, but I will do it because I want peace. Paul says, and the things by which one may edify another, build each other up. That's what we should do. Be after those things. Then Paul says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And then he begins to describe describe what this looks like. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It's pure, but if you're eating or stumbling somebody else or offending somebody else, then there's something wrong with what we're doing. Paul says, and he closes, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Paul, so what are you saying? If I ask my brother to go out and have a drink together, or let's go to the movies together, 
or do this and that. What you are doing to this younger brother, and I don't mean by age, I mean by maturity in the faith. If they don't have the liberty, if they don't feel the liberty that they can do that, then what they are beginning to do, you allow them to do to run over that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because what they're doing as, as, as maturing in Christ, the enemy is right there convicting. The Spirit is there saying, you can do this, you can do that, you can do all these things. But if they're not convinced and they run over that compass of the Holy Spirit, then the enemy is there to condemn them. And we don't want that. We don't want that. And we have to remember that just because you want them to enjoy or experience your liberty. Christ is saying, no, Paul is saying, no, don't do that, whatever it is. Verse 21, he tells us, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. We all need to remember that. Paul says, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. What Paul is saying here is that the strong should be content with the blessing God has given them, enabling them to understand the liberty they have by their faith without feeling it necessary to flaunt it on weaker believers. Keep that to yourself. Paul says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. And we don't want that. Conviction comes because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. This passage hit me, and I feel like uh, it can be a tough passage because it speaks to all of us. And the way I want to try to temper it down is I'm going to sing a song. I looked for the accompaniment music, but I could not find it because of the spur of the moment. So I, the Lord stayed on me. So I said, this is what I'll do if Jordan can do it. I said, I'm going to sing it a cappella but I'll hear it in my ear and then the worship team can come up after because just listen to the words. That's what I want you to do is listen to the words because Crowder, it's a beautiful song. I hope I can give it justice, but it's a beautiful song and I just want you to hear it. I better use this right one. Turn this up. Check. Good. All good.
I used to shake you like an eight ball. I used to shoot you like a gun. I used to hold you like a hammer. Tried to nail down everyone. I used to keep you in a steeple. I used to bind you in a book. I used to take it like prescription. Not knowing what I took. And now I just don't buy it anymore. No, I try and I try to know everything for sure. But I find I know less as I come to know you more. You're not who I thought you were. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Your love's an ocean, not a river. A symphony, not just a song. I don't think everybody's right. I think we often get it wrong. I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to laugh when we can see how hard we tried to make it and how easy it should be. And so I... Just don't buy it anymore. Oh, I try and I try to know everything for sure. But I find I know less as I've come to know you more. You're not who I thought you were. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because providence is endless and mercy is a mystery and fear is no good reason to believe in anything. And so I just don't buy it anymore. No, I try and I try to know everything for sure. But I find I know less as I've come to know you more. You're not who I thought you were. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord, amen. God is there for us.
if we just walk in love, we have diversity and that's great. But if we walk in love and keep the main thing, the main thing will be a flourishing church. And that's what the Lord wants. So I'll turn it over to the worship team.